NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Today is Monday the 29th of May. And this is our first program during Reconciliation Week 2023. Reconciliation Week is a time for all Australians to reflect and learn about shared histories, cultures and achievements. The week also seeks to strengthen respectful relationships between non-Indigenous Australians and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities through conversations and meaningful reconciliation initiatives. In this context, we'll bring you a yarn with uh, Adam Sheep, talking about a new land care junior initiative for school kids to build connections with First Nations people through yearning cycles. We also bring you a story in Sydney's northern beaches at St. John the Baptist Primary School where a bush tucker garden brimming with native plants is being tended to, providing an opportunity for students of all their groups to connect with culture and country. On NITV Radio today, we also continue a conversation started last week with Corey Toot exploring This Book Thinks You're Deadly, a celebration of black excellence. It's Corey Toot's latest book. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news on NITV Radio. And this afternoon, we are broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation. Bertrand Tungandami, I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. to label those opposed to the Indigenous Voice to Parliament as running a scare campaign. The opposition leader accuses the government of causing economic pain through higher energy prices. And in tennis, a surprise victory of Australian Tanasi Kokinakis at the French Open. Antony Albanese says those opposed to the Indigenous Voice to Parliament are underestimating Australians. Mr Albanese will today deliver the Lowija O'Donoghue oration in Adelaide. In the speech named after the famous Indigenous activist, Mr Albanese will accuse those opposed to the Voice to Parliament of running a scare campaign. He said to stay to say that Australia has a healthy scepticism of people who behave in this way and that the voice to parliament is a once in a lifetime opportunity to unite the nation. Recent polling has shown reduced support for the proposal, but Social Services Minister Amanda Richworth has told the Seven Network that the government is working to educate people about the issue and she believes people are supportive of the proposal. 
there is more work to be done to make sure we're getting uh, all those details out there. But I think ultimately when I'm talking with people, there is a, a groundswell of support to suggest that uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders do deserve a say in the issues that affect them. Independent Victorian Senator Lydia Thorpe says she may abstain from voting on a crucial bill for the referendum on the Indigenous voice to Parliament. The government is hoping to pass its constitutional alteration legislation for the Indigenous voice next month, which will allow the referendum to take place. Senator Thorpe has told the ABC she'll be moving an amendment on the legislation for First Nations sovereignty to be acknowledged. But she says she may abstain from the vote because she can't agree with either the yes or the no campaigns. The yes vote is to uh, allow for a powerless voice uh, to go into the constitution. Yes, we don't know what this looks like. It could be one person. It's up to the parliament to decide what the voice looks like. So uh, I can't support something that gives us no power uh, and I certainly cannot support a no campaign that is looking more like a white supremacy campaign that is causing a lot of harm. The recipients of the 2023 First Nations Arts and Culture Awards have been announced in a special broadcast by NITV and the Australian Council for the Arts. The awards celebrate established and emerging First Nations artists by recognising their significant contributions to Australian arts and culture. The broadcast marked the beginning of Reconciliation Week on the anniversary of the 1967 referendum. Michael West from the Metropolitan Local Aboriginal Land Council says Aboriginal art needs to continue being made. Art plays a very important part in our culture, in our society, when you think about it. It gives us an opportunity to challenge our, and share our emotions and our thoughts. We'd like to say to all those out there practising artists, please continue the, what you are doing. NITV will air a variety of relevant Reconciliation Week programs until the 3rd of June. Opposition leader Peter Dutton claims Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and the Federal Treasurer don't understand how they're hurting ordinary Australians economically. Mr Dutton says the government's recent federal budget is keeping pressure on interest rates to go up. But he's focusing his attack on the government's energy policy. Mr. Dutton says while he supports the transition to renewable energy, the Labour Party is governing like the Greens with its energy policy ruled by ideology rather than practicality. He's using his visit to a fruit-selling business in Melbourne to accuse the government of causing higher power prices, which cause businesses to charge consumers higher prices for essential goods. Costs for these types of businesses, which are energy intensive, will continue to go up, not by 3 and 4% each year, but by very high double-digit figures. And they just can't absorb that cost into their business. It has to be passed on to consumers, and that's why your grocery prices are going up and up under labour. Tasmanian Senator Jackie Lambie says the federal government is not providing adequate solutions to Australia's housing crisis. 
A new analysis by the ANZ Bank and property data firm CoreLogic has revealed the portion of people's income that goes to rent has reached its highest level since 2014. Their report has found a household in Australia on the median income would need to pay 30.8% of its income to service a new lease. The report also finds that the gap in housing affordability is getting wider, with poorer households impacted harder by higher rents. Ms. Lambie has told the Nine Network the government will not be able to build enough new houses in time to ease the housing crisis. She also says the government's plans to expand immigration again are not helping matters. We're not going to be able to build them fast enough, even with all the ones that are planned under Labor in the next five years. We're just not keeping up. And then you're talking about immigration coming back in and opening the borders fully again and that flowing again. Melbourne has received its biggest earthquake in more than 120 years. More than 22,000 people have been contacted, have contacted Geosciences Australia saying they felt the earthquake. It was felt as far north as Bendigo and as far south as Hobart. The tremor struck at 11.41pm local time last night. It registered a magnitude of 3.8 with an epicenter at Sunbury, about 40 kilometers northwest of the central business district. The state emergency service says it received three calls for help. There are no reports of any casualties. Hugh Glanville is a seismologist for Geosciences Australia. He says the chance of there being a large aftershock, so this being the precursor to a bigger earthquake, is small. Uh, so this isn't that large an earthquake. So um, while it's possible we may get some aftershocks, we would expect them to be quite small, magnitude two or smaller. Uh, we may get none. Sometimes you just get an earthquake with no aftershocks. Recep Tayyip Erdogan has won re-election for another five years as president of Turkey, extending his run as the nation's longest tenured leader since Kemal Ataturk. Mr. Erdogan, who has been president since 2014 and was prime minister for 11 years prior to that, has won 52.1% of the vote in the runoff election against rival Kemal Kilicadoglu. Kilicadoglu got the remaining 47.9% of the vote. Whilst Mr. Erdogan's term in power has strengthened Turkey's position as a regional military power, critics charge that his policies are increasingly authoritarian. And whilst Mr. Kilicadoglu is not disputing the result of the election, he says he's been the victim of some of Mr. Erdogan's approach. We experienced the most unfair election in recent years. All the means of the state were mobilized for a political party. All possibilities were laid under one man's feet. Ukrainian officials say Russia has subjected the country's capital, Kyiv, to its largest drone attack since the war between the two nations started last year. At least one person, a 41-year-old man, has been killed in Kyiv after debris fell on a building and started a fire as a result of an attack using Iranian-made Shahed drones. The attacks lasted for about five hours and come on Kyiv Day, marking the anniversary of the city's founding more than 1,500 years ago. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky says Ukrainian forces shot down many of the drones. During this terrorist attack, quantitatively, the most powerful blow was directed against Kyiv region. 
36 drones were shot down within the city of Kyiv and the region. This is how Russia celebrates the day of our ancient Kyiv. And back home on your analysis says Australia could be caught in the middle of competition between the United States and China in the area of technology. A report by the Lowy Institute, which specializes in examining international policy, says competition between the two superpowers in this area could impact Australia's ability to make scientific and medical breakthroughs. Behind this is what is believed to be the ambition of the U.S. to stop China's progress in artificial intelligence by denying China the ability to use or make advanced computer chips. The Lowy Institute says if the U.S. placed wider export denials on technology to China, it would expect Australia to do likewise. And that would in turn mean Australia ending thousands of partnerships with Chinese academics in the medicine and high-tech fields. And to sport in tennis, Australian Tanasi Kokinakis has achieved a surprise victory on day one of the French Open. The Australian only qualified for the tournament as a wild card, but has eliminated the 25th seeded player Britain's Dan Evans in the first round. He won in straight sets, in straight sets, 6-4, 6-4, 6-4. It's Tanasiko Kinakis' first win at the French Open in eight years. There's been controversy in the women's singles. The number two ranked player in the world, Arena Sabalenka of Belarus, has beaten Ukrainian Marta Kostyuk in the first round. Kostyuk continued her policy of not shaking hands after the match with players from Russia or Belarus due to the war in Ukraine and the crowd booed her for this. Sabalenka says she was confused at first, thinking the crowd was booing her rather than Kostyuk. Yeah, I, I couldn't understand what's going on because, I mean, we all know that uh, Ukrainian girls will not shake uh, hands with us, so it's kind of not a surprise for us, but probably for, for the public today it was a surprise, so they, 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 they saw it as uh, disrespect me as a player, so that's why I was booing to her. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, sunny 23, Perth, cloudy 23, Adelaide, showers 18, Melbourne, a shower 217, Hobart, showers easing 13 degrees, Albury, Wodonga, cloudy 12, Canberra, partly cloudy 14, Wollongong, sunny 19, Sydney, sunny 21, Newcastle, the same, 22, Brisbane, sunny as well, at the top of 22, Townsville, sunny 26, Keynes, similar conditions, 27, Alice Springs, a Sunny day as well, 20 degrees. Darwin, sunny and 30. And the Torres Strait Islands, sunny day ahead and a top of 29 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1 p.m or anytime online. Welcome back. Now today is our first program uh, during uh, Reconciliation Week and hence our first story. It's about an event that uh, took, is taking place actually currently at uh, the MCG convened by Riman Healthcare, a New Zealand retirement village and race, rest home operator. The event is a trans-Tasman conversation taking place at the MCG, exploring the journey of the First Nations people in Australia and Aotearoa in New Zealand. 
In line with this year's National Reconciliation Week theme, Be a Voice for Generations, the event will see elders from both First Nations communities share their stories for struggle of struggle and success and learn from each other's unique experiences. The event includes a panel discussion with Deborah Chidam and Iria Petty Bullmore and other First Nations elders. The event began this morning with Deborah Chidam's rendition of a welcome to country in Yorta Yorta language.
Reconciliation Week event organized by Riman Healthcare. We'll bring you more coverage of this event in our upcoming programs. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Coming up next, we continue our coverage of stories about uh, Reconciliation Week. We start with a new initiative allowing school kids to connect with First Nations people through yearning cycles. We also have a story about a project in Sydney's Northern Beaches where in a school promoting connection to country and culture. We also continue our conversation with Kuri Tut, exploring his new book, This Book Thinks You're Deadly, a celebration of black excellence. Now, let's look at how yearning cycles contribute to reconciliation. You're with NITV Radio. Junior Land Care has released a new series of First Nations Perspectives learning activities on the Junior Land Care Learning Centre. And joining us on NITV Radio to discuss uh, these uh, initiatives is uh, Adam Sheep, who co-created uh, these uh, learning tools. Welcome to NITV Radio, Adam. 
Thanks, Bertrand. Nice to be here. One of the learning tools is about creating uh, learning cycles for kids. Can you tell us about uh, these learning cycles for kids? Uh, yeah, so um, Junior Landcare has been developing um, just different sort of, I guess, criteria, criteria areas of learning um, for kids around um, environment and um, conservation, sustainability. And um, as part of that, um, I've been um, uh, brought on to assist with uh, First Nations input on on different uh, various sort of um, uh, education resources. So uh, I've already been working with them over the past few years and we've developed a few resources around how to create, uh, you know, Aboriginal plant use gardens in schools, um, how to... Uh, connect with traditional owners and uh, First Nations people um, and many other types of resources. And the most recent one we've just developed is Yarning Circles. So uh, really for educators and for land care, junior land care um, coordinators and anyone else, else out there who wants to learn more about using Yarning Circles in their school or in their practice. This is for kids of uh, what age groups because learning learning cycles, uh, they need to be able to understand what they're getting uh, involved in so that they can really immerse themselves in uh, the culture, the connection and everything. How old are they? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so we sort of aim them for around the 7 to 13 years. Um, However, the resources do also cross... um, across to the older years, so, you know, from 14 to 18, um, and some resources are available for that sort of zero to seven year as well. But generally, um, that kind of between seven and 13 years is the main sort of area that um, our focus is. And when you design learning cycles, do you create them with the teachers who then pass on the knowledge to the kids or the kids are involved uh, throughout the whole process? So how it sort of um, has ran is um, initially we kind of, we, we developed the, um, the resource uh, and that's generally so myself. There'll be um, an educational consultant who works with us. His role is kind of helping to connect it with curriculum type studies and different things like that. Uh, so we sort of generally work in the background first, work together a bit, and then after we develop the resource, then we start to go out to schools um, and start to kind of showcase it in schools and work with students. And from that, we often get a bit of filming and footage of of students using those spaces. um, And we get to talk more to students about um, why we've developed the resource, why it's significant and, you know, why they think it's important to get involved in those kind of um, uh, initiatives as well. So, over the whole process, it's definitely collaborative. Like we definitely work with youth and, and, and the students um, and the teachers as well in various schools to kind of really help to, I guess, showcase and to get the resources out there. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that uh, is uh, striking for me is uh, they get to learn about uh, things like uh, First Nations weather, how to create indigenous plant, use gardens and so on. Indigenous weather is something that uh, would be really interesting for many other, for everyone else to know about because the, the way we read the weather and uh, mm-hmm. understand it is uh, different. It is, definitely, definitely, yeah. And that's... um. That's feedback that I've actually gotten from 
you know, parents and that that I know that have their kids in school learning some of those resources around weather. Like the, the, the children are really, um, they get quite into it and excited to learn, I guess, new different ways to look at weather, even though they're our old ways. Um, it's kind of new to a lot of new to, to, to children and youth in the school today. So, um, you know, they get quite excited in learning, I guess, how our people look at weather um, and how um, seasons are different um, to every sort of group around Australia, you know, and that's something that I try to kind of put within those resources is, you know, I'm coming from my people like a Radjuri perspective of, you know, Central West New South Wales region, so the weather's quite different to, you know, people that are up in the top end of Australia and and so um, it's really about for children in school is to try and learn the connect with the people in your region the traditional owners in your region and learn some of that local knowledge around seasons so that they get a better understanding of how seasons were looked at um in those old old times so um and how they can still be looked at today because it's still very very much helpful today to learn how to read seasons and know the different times of year yeah, and they read them with other instruments like satellites and so on, but yet uh, they get a really very accurate understanding of uh, the environment they live in. That's right, exactly right. And being able to, um, yeah, like you say, like there's all those sort of modern um, te- technology that they, they talk about, you know, with satellites and different things, but we have a lot of our old ways of just connecting with land and watching what's happening on land, but also what's happening in the skies and the different changes within the year. Um, of the different, you know, whether it's aspects of the the um, astrology in the sky, the stars and things, or whether it's um, different flowering trees or different animal behaviours on the ground, and they all kind of happen and teach us of different timings of year and what's, what we can expect to come weather-wise. So it's all very important knowledge. And uh, are the yarning cycles rolled out in uh, schools across Australia or it's in uh, just uh, your area? I believe you live on uh, Nunawal country or...? Uh, so, yes, I used to live on Nunawal country in Canberra. Um, I'm now back out in Wiradjuri country in Dubbo. So, um, and look, the uh, the yarning circles, so the the materials and the resources that we put online are free now and they've rolled out across Australia. Um, in terms of the actual building the yarning circle, so that's really um, for the school to do or initiate. Um, and we kind of put within the resources, we give a few tips and ways to do that. So, um, you know, we understand that not every school um, or group, you know, whether it's a homeschool group or whoever it is, um, may not may have the funding, you know, to get a nice big circle with lots of really large rocks or whatever it is. Um, so we give a few different tips and ways that you can develop a yarning circle in your um, school or or group. So um, yeah, so that's that's a big takeaway that we try to help as well is that um, you know you can have a yarning circle anywhere. So you can find a nice patch of grass somewhere on the school oval or you know under a tree um you know they're some of the best yarning circles um to facilitate is just having the kids out under a gum tree or something immersed in nature you know um and you know it can be as simple as that um but you can also um create yarning circles um in a designated space in your school with you know lovely materials like wood or rock or whatever it is so how does a typical yarning cycle look like yeah, so um, again, it's really um, 
it, it's really varied to how you want it to look. Um, you know, many schools that I've been into will use um, things like sandstone um, blocks um, as seating or wooden uh, wooden logs, um, and they will basically shape it in that circle um, shape. Um, and often those um, circles will be in amongst, you know, bush food gardens or, or garden spaces in the school or areas with nice tree cover and things. Um, so generally that's kind of the look. Um, however, like I said, you know, we, you don't have to use um, seating. If, if you don't um, have the resources to use that at the time, you can just um, take a group of kids out onto a grassy area and sit directly on the ground on the earth, you know, and um, or on pillows or cushions or something. So it can be really up to you how you form that circle, that yarning circle. Do you have the ambition to roll them out across all the schools or just uh, those that are affiliated with Landcare? Yeah, look, I um, would love to see it more broadly across all schools if, if it's um, something that, um, you know, over time we can initiate a project to get more schools and more schools eligible, you know, able to get funding and, and things to, to design them, it would be great to see that um, because I think by placing the yarning circles in the schools, it then opens up um, that opportunity for schools to connect more with the local custodians of the land in their area that they're living um, and bring in more people, more of our people in, you know, First Nations people in to do cultural um, immersions and workshops and different things like that. So, you know, I think it would only be a positive to see it rolled out across across the nation eventually. So, Yeah. Now, before I let you go, Adam, any closing thoughts or maybe uh, addition to the conversation of something we may have missed and that's really yeah. important for listeners to know? Yeah. So I think um, I'd like to just close it by obviously, um, you know, People are interested in, in finding the resources, so um, they can go to Landcare Australia website and they can follow the tabs to the Junior Landcare. Um, and so this is for anyone, anyone that wants to have a look at the resources, but um, in particular to educators and teachers that might want to use the resource um, can can get those for free off the website. Um, so they're available. So, yeah, you just go through Landcare Australia to the Junior Landcare website and you'll find them in the um, First Nations resources area. Um, I'd also obviously just shout out to, um, to Woolworths who, who funded the, the whole project and continue to support and fund the Junior Land Care First Nation project. So obviously um, we can't do this stuff without, without that funding. So I'm very much uh, grateful for the support. Um, and yeah, that's, I think that's everything. So um, yeah, just really happy to be involved in the project. Yeah, Adam Ship, thank you very much for having the time to talk to us about uh, the Junior Learning Cycles Project by uh, Landcare. Thank you. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Now, Reconciliation Week is a time for all Australians to reflect and learn about uh, shared histories, cultures and achievements. It also seeks to strengthen respect for relationships between non-Indigenous Australians and Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander communities through conversations and meaningful reconcili- reconciliation initiatives. Jennifer Skira reports. At St John the Baptist Primary School on Sydney's northern beaches, a bush tucker garden, brimming with native plants, is being tended to. 
It's an opportunity for students of all year groups to connect with culture and country. The garden was planted with the guidance of proud Warramai man Josh Brown, who runs Aboriginal education provider Deadly Ed. For us, it's how do we connect all Australians to culture, um, but how do we connect it in a way that's actually going to benefit Aboriginal country and community at the same time. From wattle to finger lime, each plant is accompanied by a sign outlining its cultural uses. If we can get just you know one student or, or, or young person to learn something new and they're then sharing with their own personal network, then that's how we're really going to instill that kind of knowledge and sharing knowledge. Here's what some of the students had to say. I've learned of about some plants and what they're used for. You can make soap out of wattle. You can learn a lot about like the food. There are a lot of great plants and a lot of finding worms. For school leaders like Principal Alicia van der Merwe, the program is all about planting the seeds of knowledge for the next generation and empowering them to carry forward reconciliation initiatives like this. I think education is power and knowledge is power and I think we need to make sure that our young children, even from as young as kindergarten, which you saw today, um, have that knowledge to pass on. And I think having that reconciliation conversation can never start too early. Karen Mundine is the Chief Executive Officer of Reconciliation Australia. It's an opportunity for us to really explore how do we create better, more trustful, more mutually uh, beneficial relationships that create better outcomes for all of us in Australia. Jake Ferguson is a proud Bidjigal Darawal, Wailwan, Burapai and Bundjalung man. He runs Bush Tucker Tours through the Royal Botanic Gardens in Sydney. We have people from like over America and Germany and stuff like they thought Australia was yeah beaches and barbecues. We actually like learn about Indigenous history. They like, they love it. We have a rich, diverse culture, the oldest living culture on planet Earth. A decolonisation initiative is also underway, with horticultural displays at the Botanic Gardens of Sydney on track to be updated as part of a plant multi-naming project to reflect the First Nations, scientific and English names of plants. Jared Kelly is curator manager at the Royal Botanic Gardens. To do this, we are consulting with traditional custodians, elders and language knowledge holders. We want to share this cultural knowledge with our visitors through our horticultural displays, educational programs and scientific community. Jennifer Scherer, SBS News. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. Welcome back and now we continue our conversation that we started last week with uh, Corey Toot about This Book Thinks You're Deadly, a celebration of uh, black excellence. And this is Corey Toot's latest book, profiling 80 men and women who have done deadly things, not only for the community, but for the entire country. Your community, your conversation, NITV Radio. Earlier you said that uh, you don't want your book to feel like a sort of Wikipedia. I'd say it's far greater than Wikipedia. To me, it looks more like an illustrated encyclopedia. Talking about illustrations, you worked with Molly Hunt to produce this really beautiful book. Can you tell us about your collaboration with uh, Molly on uh, this publication? Yeah, so about four years ago, um, Molly and I actually were Haywire Trailblazers together. So we had won this... um, uh, regional and remote um, scholarship with the ABC and we got along so well and it was quite a few of us actually that they got along really well during the week and um, 
I sort of said to her, I'm like, we'll write a book one day. And, you know, I sort of say these throwaway lines a lot. Um, and sometimes it comes off and sometimes it doesn't. But we'd, we'd spoken about doing a book since four years ago. And when I thought of the concept for this book, I was like, I really want to do it with Molly. Um, I want Molly to be an illustrator. And, you know, it was it was like the perfect person to do this book with because, and, you know, Molly herself is incredibly inspiring and does, you know, incredible work, um, whether it's painting murals or or working to mentor young um, people and, and give them, you know, that self-belief and hope. And, and the fact that, I was able to do it with Molly made it really special for me because um, I'm obviously very close with Black Douglas as well, who did First Scientist. But, you know, I made a decision as a, as an author and probably as a, um, like in the arts um, of, of creating these books that um, I would go with a different artist every time. Again, as a kind of way to honor that artist. So like I, it would be the same style and, and DNA of writing and um, the same creation process, but it would be um, slightly different topics. But I thought that it would be better if Molly did this book than so every book that I write, I'm going to try and work with a different artist and try and develop that relationship and that friendship and, and turn, you know, the words and the, because the um the words are there, but the image is is so important because people see the image. So if I can build a great relationship with that artist, then they can really you know scoop the juice out of this brain um, and create something that people can celebrate. So you know the fact that I could do it with Molly and um, she's been a really close friend of mine for many years is just a, it's a very proud thing for me and my family and. Um, Molly was great throughout the whole process. Um, she's an incredible artist and, you know, getting her thought and feedback on the book, she's a huge reason why this book has become a book and, and it will be successful, hopefully. I believe this book will also, as a reference guide, uh, work very well online. Do you envision producing an online version as well? I, I would really love to have an audio book. Um, I, I, that decision probably hasn't been made yet, but... I would love to turn it into an audio book or even a, um, you know, an animation series would be really great because one of the things that I, I think with this book and I think with this concept is that this could be a podcast, this could be an animation series, this could be an audio book. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, with my writing and, and how I'm trying to, um, you know, set up my career as an author and, and the things that I want to create, you know, when people pick up a, a Corey book, they, I want them to go on a journey and a journey of, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of really crappy things about our planet and our world and our country at times. And I want people to escape and, and get joy out of things that I create. Um, and I think that, if it can be turned into an audio book and someone with a much better voice than me can read it, um, it could be the thing that really helps someone escape for an hour or two um, and they can learn about some inc incredible, inspiring people um, throughout that process. So I'm, yeah, I'm really open to that. I think that there's so many different things that this book can become and I kind of feel like I've just started the Lego brick um, 
it's the base of the Lego brick. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that people like the book and, and enjoy it. And they get something that, you know, that's bigger than themselves out of that book, but can also add um, some inspiration. And, you know, I want people to think about why they're deadly and, and everyone's deadly in their own way. And it's just, it's important this book exists so they can see that. Earlier you mentioned working uh, with some of the elders, uh, really towering figures who sadly have left us. But you also worked with living legends like uh, Stan Grant and Professor Tom Kalmer. How was it working with uh, these giants? Working with Stan, Stan Grant and um, and various other people is really easy because they're just, like you said, they're living legends. They're, they're incredible people that, um, you know, who just lead and they've led for decades. Um, so, you know, when you work with them, you're kind of in a bit of aura um, about, you know, working with them. And it, it's like it's one of those things where you just you realise that exceptional humans are just people who just really care about others. Um, they often put themselves last. And, you know, both um, Stan and, and Uncle Tom Karma, uh, they they embottomize that um, that process because they just deeply care for, for others. Um, and they, their work is to service others, whether that's through information or um, health, which Tom has led um, a lot of really incredible work in. So, to have them in, like in that book and celebrate in that way is just incredibly important. Great, dude. Once again, congratulations on another very fine book. But before I let you go, any final thoughts? Yeah, um, for anyone who picks up this book, one, thank you for um, picking up my book and um, helping support this book. But also just want to acknowledge that there's a lot of incredible, um, deadly, amazing people out there Um you know, they may not have made the book, but I, I want to acknowledge all those people. I do I do see you and, um, you know, hopefully we can write a few more copies of this book and, and get some of those people in there. Um, but I, I'm really excited about this book and I'm excited to um, see, you know, people get inspired and, and enjoy this book because um, it, it was a sheer joy to write and I'm, I'm very excited as an author that, and I feel very blessed that I've been able to write such a, a book that um, hopefully will inspire people to, you know, see why they're deadly. And I'm really excited about that. Great, Todd. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio about uh, your latest book. This book thinks you're deadly. Thank you so much. Join NITV Radio on Facebook. And uh, this brings us to the end of uh, today's program. Bertrand Tungendami, I am Bertrand Tungendami, thanking you for staying with us this Monday afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu. Yeah,